Hello everyone, I'm Noemi Di Stefano. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the Tigger Podcast brought to you by IR Magazine in partnership with Pulse by Public.com providing tools for IR teams to engage with retail shareholders. Coming up on the show this month, we speak to Sonia Gobriel, Head of Investor Relations at British multinational consumer healthcare company Helion and former Head of IR at GSK. Sonia joins us on the show to share best practice advice on how to better communicate with global shareholders during corporate transactions. Also joining us after the break is Felix Tabari, co-founder of Troop, a New York-based fintech startup. With him, we dive into top tips for IR teams when engaging with retail investors. But first, let's talk about careers, with a focus on the next generations of IROs and their own expectations from a career in IR. So let me introduce my first guest. A warm welcome to Francesco Tambini, IR Predictioner and ESG Analyst at Swiss fintech company Leontech. Welcome to the ticket, Francesco. Hi Noemi, first of all, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and share with you uh, my journey in the field of investor relation. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. So for our listeners, I uh, just want to give you a little bit of background on uh, you know, this interview with, uh, with Francesco, uh, who is, I think it's fair to say, the first Gen Z class 98 IRO to join us on the show since the ticker has been, uh, has been there. Uh, so I reached out to Francesco a few months ago when I was working on a, on a piece on uh, the next generation of IROs and their expectations, and uh, I thought it would be great to have you on the show, Francesco, and to, to share your insights. So for the listeners who, who don't know you, who don't know about Leontech, can you start by telling us a little bit uh, more about your firm and your role there? When did you start your background? Of course. Well, my journey uh, in the world of investor relations, first of all, started three years ago when I decided to join the double degree program in investor relations and financial communication which is offered by Università Cattolica in Milan and Università della Svizzera Italiana in Lugano. There, I acquire a specific skill in the financial communication and legal area that uh, provide me the tools for my career path. Talking about Leontech and my role there, well, all started all, almost one year ago, where I had the opportunity to join the graduate program in investor relation and ESG. I start um, working together with my team with the IR team, with my senior colleague Renato Bolliger and the head of investor relation, Dominic Rugli. And from day one, I was involved in the main, main task of the investor relation. So basically, my role is to analyze equity research and credit rating and ESG report, and keep updating investor profile and the CRM, supporting the, the organization of roadshow, annual general meeting, and the, all the IR events. And for sure, uh, the last but not the least, uh, the supporting uh, their all the reporting process for the annual report, the alpha year report, and the SG report. What's Leontech? Leontech is a, a firm, is a fintech, focused on structured products, structured investment solution with a unique uh, white labeling. And it, it, I, I joined this kind of company because I was really interested in structured investment product. I really like to discover this kind of field 
even because during my university program, I studied derivatives. So I think it was a good uh, way to start my career. Of course, it's not an easy business also to explain to investor, but I think it, it's a good start uh, to start with. Excellent background, academic background and uh, sensational start to your career. But uh, just let me ask you, when is that you realized that you wanted to be an IRO? What what sparked your interest in pursuing uh, a career in investor relations? And, you know, what keeps you uh, motivated to, to be in this role? Well, first of all, I think the dynamic nature of the job. I mean, investor relation is just not is not just doing the same task, but it's a uh, a mix of skill and you need to be really focused during the daily your daily routine and during the job because there are so many tasks to, to take in consideration. You talk with so many stakeholders inside the company, investors, shareholders, the top management, all the different divisions and departments. So I think the dynamic nature of the job is, uh, is uh, for sure one of the most important things that uh, made me impressed when I started my career. But I think the main point and the main reason why I want to go on with this kind of career is for sure the fact that I really find fascinating the idea of turning complex data into narratives to create yes. a very reliable and concrete equity story. It's like combining heart and science from a certain point of view. And I really like this kind of aspect in investor relation. That's really interesting that you say that. I mean, in the end, you know, this is what both companies and uh, investors are looking for is like a narrative, a story, a concise story that keeps them engaged and interest into in the into the company um, behind those those numbers and data. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the skills that are needed to perform the job as something that attracts you to it. Skills is something that I wanted to to kind of dive deep into with with you. So obviously the industry is made uh, more more than by veteran IROs, people in their 40s. There are not a lot of Gen Z IROs out there, at least I haven't found <laughs> lots of them. If you are listening and you are a Gen Z IRO, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. But um, Let's talk about the skills that you bring to your company and on the table. Do you think these skills are different from the ones that veterans have today? Well, I think we need to think about the kind of background of senior IR and young IR. I think there is different kind of skills that we develop during our career because basically senior investor relation officer, usually previously they work as financial analysts, or they work in, in accounting or financial management. So, of course, they have a very strong financial background. Maybe they are not so uh, skilled at the beginning in the communication side, but th- that's because they, they came from a different kind of department. That, that's the point. I think the new generation of IR, since we study both during our university program, we focus both on financial skills and communication skills. We no, I, won't, I wouldn't say better. Maybe it's, it's arrogant to say that. And maybe it's better to say we develop also communication skill that then we can we are able to use, for example, to attract to engage retail investors such as uh, young investor in particular, like for example, millennial or generation Z, because the, this kind of retail investor you they are not dominating the market at the moment. But I think in the long term they will be really relevant, and so it's important to start targeting them. And for sure, younger 
investor relations officer can help that through social media uh, because uh, it's it's um, it's the platform the main platform used for young people especially linkedin is very is used for this kind of engagement and i think it's young generation can really help on that yeah the the platforms uh, for engagement with shareholders are changing especially as you rightly say those with with retail um investors and retail shareholders and uh, i mean my next question to you was going to be are, are there any particular trends uh, in the ir industry at the moment be it artificial intelligence or you know more focus on delivering you know half year results or uh, any any communication through social media that you think you have an edge on and is benefiting your company engagement with investors at this time or as in the past or will in the future? Well, I think our company and Leontech is working very well. We are embracing many trends that are helping us to engage more investor and also retail investor, not just a big financial institution. And I think, first of all, the big trend that I'm really proud of is the, a very comprehensive website. Because having a, a website which is uh, friendly for the users, it's really fundamental if you want to attract and to engage a stakeholder. So at time when I work on peer analysis, uh, something that uh, really disappointed me to see website where it's not clear how to find information, how to find data, how to find ESG reporting analysis. And I think that that's a pity because, you know, it's, 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 it's really important to have a comprehensive website because shareholder and investor in general needs to know the, the information and yeah. i think that's that's the main trend then the second trend i'm really proud of is for example the um, high quality of the esg reporting because i think really even even new generation we really, really focus on the environment and we when we decide to invest on something we we are not just focused on the financial data or the financial performance in general, but also the SG performance. And so I think this is a very important trend that we embrace as Leontech, as we were uh, named as uh, one of the best uh, ESG reporting at the last IR awards. So we, we are happy that we are getting also external uh, recognition about our, our yeah. effort. And then, of course, AI. AI is uh, really important. And um, I think the problem about AI, I really, I don't want to speculate about that, but I don't know how it will be used in, uh, in, the, in the role of the investor relation. I think it will be essential to engage stakeholder, to find new investor. But uh, in details, I still I, I don't know how to answer to this question about AI. Yeah, I think I think no one really knows where it's going to go. But um, as um, a young person, I, I'm sure you, I, I am personally fascinated by artificial intelligence tools. There are two philosophies, you know, there are some IROs who say AI is there to stay and to help us. It will actually, it will just allow us to 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 focus more on, on the things we want to focus. And then there are those who are like a little bit scared and they're like, oh, maybe it's going to steal our job or something like that. Which school of thought do you side with? I think I'm in the middle. I try to be objective because of course, Maybe AI um, will make our life easier as investor relations officer, and for sure we will have an important uh, support in terms of communication. Also, in if you think about press releases or uh, kind of all this kind of reporting, for sure AI can give a, a big support. But at the same time, I think the human side is essential 
especially because investor relation is not just about financial and communication skill, but also, you know, a human skill. You need yeah. to, to talk with your stakeholder, with the investor, with the shareholder, with the management. And this cannot be replaced by AI, in my opinion. Very diplomatic answer there. <laughs> Anyways, let's go back to, to social media. So I just wanted to ask you, do you feel as a younger IRO uh, comfortable with using new communication channels uh, with investors like, you know, YouTube or LinkedIn or other social media platforms? And, and do you see younger IROs like you using them more than maybe more mature IROs or like maybe new startup companies or fintech companies as opposed to, I don't know, companies who've been there for, for a long time? Well, what I observed is that a startup and young company are using this kind of platform much more than, uh, for example, large company, for sure. Even because I think large company had a very stable uh, shareholder base, so they maybe they are not so focused to try new trends or this kind of stuff. But if young company, what I observed, especially startups are they are trying to to push the social media like linkedin and youtube as well like for example i talk about myself when when i want to know something more about a company youtube and linkedin are two kind of social media that i really use because i want to know how the company presents itself and social media is a really good opportunity for company to show the best of what they can do and, and and are there any any challenges that you feel are like specific to social media as an engagement platform with investors? Are there any challenges that apply to this space specifically? Well, I think the main challenge, the first main challenge, is to try to to detect the the best social media platform. Okay. Because that's something we work a lot, and we discover that for us, LinkedIn is the best social platform to promote and to engage new new investor, new retail investor and stakeholder in general. The second one, in my opinion, is to try to create, you know, also a storytelling in the social media platform. It's just not it's not just posting content. You need to try to, to have a strategy, a clear strategy to create a story, an equity story also in, on your social media. And it's, it's not easy. So about new trends, I think in the future, investor relation department, we work together for sure with marketing, and specifically, this is something that is already done by many companies, but they, I think the IR officer, we work together also with the social media specialists because they can really help in creating a very good equity story to show not just during the conferences, but on your social media platform. And I think it will be very helpful, especially to attract a retail investor. Okay, that's that's great. Um, just wanted to move to a different set of questions about, you know, if, so obviously I I know maybe your boss is listening, but if you were looking for uh, a new role and, um, you know, a, a new IR role at a different company and you were, you know, there on the internet browsing and looking for a company that has an IR position open what will attract you to join a company i mean how important is company culture to you what things do matter to you for sure corporate values is something that is essential for me what i look for is usually as you mentioned the corporate culture it i think today especially for my generation is fundamental to have a company that allow a sort of work-life balance yeah. And company that uh, are, are very good on that 
then I think they also they can be also good in their productivity and then create an environment which is very pleasant to work on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's something that my generation, when I talk also with my colleagues, uh, young colleagues of my age, this is something they are really focused on. Maybe in the past it was more salary and career. Today it's more work-life balance and corporate culture and values. It's not just about uh, career development, but at the same time also uh, to develop as a human person. So, I mean, if you, for example, you know, were successful uh, in your application in a company where there is no such a great uh, work-life balance, but there is a higher salary and then there is a company who is offering your job and, and there is a lower salary, but a better work-life balance, which one would you go for? I know I'm putting you on the spot there, but... <laughs> it's a very tricky question, <laughs> but I think that um, for me, work-life balance is is essential. But I think that nowadays, all the companies are looking for solution to have a good work-life balance. And of course, there are like in a, in the investor relation, there are period of time where you have to be very focused, especially during the presentation of the annual uh, uh, annual year results. And you, we all know all the people that work in investor relation know about that. But at the same time, I think that company, and what I'm sorry, is also is something that is it's going on also here in Leontech, is to try to find a balance, even because if your employees are happy and have a good life, then they are also more productive. So I think it's uh, it's not something non-negotiable. It's fundamental for a company, for the success of the business. Okay, and then a message for those uh, leaders and, and head of IRs, you know, and mentors out there. What kind of leadership are you looking for? What, what does make for a good leader and a good mentor to you when you are in the early stages of your IR profession? I, I want to start talking a little bit just towards about my experience. When I joined Leontic for the first time, I had the possibility to work together with my senior colleague, Renato Bolliger, who is also my mentor. And he had these three characteristics that, in my opinion, are fundamental for a mentor. First of all, to be patient, because of course, uh, as graduate, as new graduate and new joiner, you need time. You need time. And investor relation is, uh, is uh, you have a priority of tasks, so many platforms to use, so you need time to get used with all these kind of new, new, new activities. The second is, of course, uh, expertise and because it's fundamental if you want to teach something you need to be an expert on what you are doing i was very lucky because uh, my colleagues work in ar since eight years so he has a very good level of his expertise and the last point is uh, for sure trust because you need to create this kind of uh, mentorship relationship and you need trust between each other so these are the three characteristics i'm looking for patience, expertise that they can pass on and, and trust. So that's a, that's a great a great list. Um, so I'm sure those leaders who are listening to the podcast are taking notes. And um, just wanted to, to touch on uh, something that I've heard uh, not a lot, but sometimes some, some IROs uh, say, you know, maybe IR is a stepping stone that will obviously because of the nature of the job it will help them to develop lots of transferable skills that maybe will serve them well in in roles higher up within the same organization or other organizations what is the view in on, on your approach on this approach i mean 
do you see yourself being in IR for the entire duration of your career or it is something that you would like to do for a very long time? What is your view on that? Well, it's a very good question because it's something that I asked myself during my university studies. Yes, of course, I would like to work in investor relation for all my life because this is really what I want to do in my life. It's my dream job. But at the same time, I think it's also good to keep an open mind. Not, not just to have just a path in the investor relation, but it's fine also to try to switch department, trying to understand much more about other departments. Because when you create your equity story, when you talk with investors, they want to know about your business. And so if you have more um, more experiences also in other departments, of course, this is this, um, something that creates value in you as, as investor relation officer. So it's okay, I think, to change career, also to, to try to experience something new. It's, it's totally okay. I mean, we have also some, some example of a very good IR, like, for example, Oliver Stratman. He was the head of AR, and now he is the CFO of the company. So, I mean, it's a, I think it's, it's a very good start. It's, you know, it's good to switch career, but I think that IR at the end can offer very good uh, opportunity at the end. I will uh, share with you something that someone told me once uh, when during a very interesting conversation where we touched on this stepping stone concept. They said to me, if you approach IR as uh, a role you're just going to be on for like a year or two, then you're going to set up yourself for failure, uh, up for failure at the very start. But if you approach IR and put everything you've got in this role, maybe, you know, new opportunities may open up for you and then, you know, you might feel like you want to to embrace them. So that is I, I, I find it very fascinating this this point about you know stepping stone and let let let's cast an, an eye over to the future and um, as uh, we're running out of time so do you see uh, more young investor relations officer coming into the scene in, in the future what would you say to someone who's maybe thinking about a, uh, a career in IR I hope so I hope so that in the future there will be more young investor relation officer that's what I, my expectation well my my suggestion is to be curious for sure because investor relation is is about that you need to create your equity story you need to find new strategies to engage investor so I think being curious and to try to push out even in the moment where where it's difficult where there are uh, crises and just be curious and try to do your best. I think that's the the only good advice I can give at, at the moment. I'm still too young to give. No, but it's it's good to to share, you know, your your uh, your experiences so far, and you know, just uh, give some advice to those who are considering it, but maybe not so sure. So that's that's definitely more than welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast this month. I hope to to hear from you, and uh, I, I'm just gonna keep an eye on what you do next and uh, how your your role evolves. Thank you very much. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you to all the IR Magazine community and I hope to see you soon as well. Tune in to the latest IR Magazine webinar held in partnership with Q4 where we discuss how to take an innovative approach to your investor day and hear expert insight from award-winning IROs. Why are you doing the investor day? Who are you? And plan, 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 over plan, triple plan, 
do it obsess over your planning and make sure that everybody's roles and responsibilities are well understood that the expectations are understood and that you understood other people's expectations of you if you want to be innovative look beyond your peer group to see what's been done if you just do what the the peer group is doing you're going to be seen as a as a me too event and and you know i think a good source of of finding new and innovative things is to look at um prior nominees and and winners of the IR magazine award for best investor event i think that's a great pool of examples don't be afraid to adopt something that somebody has done so it's been proven it may not be a standard practice yet but you know take it on and and try something a little bit different bring the sizzle bring something different incentivize people to come through something innovative and different you know brainstorm things that are totally outside the box because you never know what could stick and you never know what what you could come up with to watch the webinar on demand visit imagazine.com/events Companies are always looking to build stronger relationships with current and potentially new investors. If you are a public company, Pulse by public.com can help you build deeper relationships with your investors. Share your company narrative with innovative formats. Make investor information more discoverable. Reach retail investors where they're already engaged and much more. Pulse by public.com helps IR teams engage their retail shareholders, amplify company communications, and gain actionable insights into retail investor audiences. Visit public.com/pulse to schedule a free demo. Hello and welcome to the Take a Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Sonia Gobriel, Head of IR at Halion. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks so much for inviting me along today. So first, can we just start with you telling me a little bit about your career in IR in general from, you know, pre-COVID to now, how, how's it been? Yeah, so I mean, I think sort of background-wise, I started sell-side, so always covering consumer predominantly as an analyst um, towards the end, specialist sales. So I think when you do speak with analysts, I've, I've sat in their shoes, which um, I think is quite helpful, largely covering beverages, banks like Goldman Sachs, Barclays, Morgan Stanley. And then after that, I was head of IR at Heineken for four years, which was completely amazing time. Company was transforming culturally um, in terms of how they were viewed by the market. And it was really an amazing position to be there and be part of that transformation story, both in terms of what was happening at the company, but also from a communication perspective. So I think fortunate to do that for four years. Um, Left to come back to London, where I set up my own company, which provided our consultancy, working with a mixture of mid-cap and also large-cap companies. So still did some stuff with Heineken, IHG. Um, There were probably another seven companies. And then really left all that to come back to full-time IR with Halion, which just felt like I wanted to be part of a big change again. And with a company that was being spun off from GSK, really coming to the market, and it was the largest listing on the, on the London Stock Exchange for 10 years, yeah, really a chance to build something from scratch. Um, I'm really sort of creating an IR program, working with the CEO and CFO who were new to the markets in a company that was coming to a sector that didn't really exist before. So I think that's why I came back and obviously now at Halion as head of IR. I mean, I think it's been one yes. year since um, since the demerger with GSK. Yeah. How has that year been? I mean, obviously there's been struggles or whatever else, but how have you found it leading the IR team? 
It's been amazing. I mean, it's been a journey. I think I would say don't underestimate the transformation from being part of a bigger entity to suddenly being standalone, listed, um, fully scrutinized in every number that goes to the market. And also, you know, the other big difference for us was we, we, we came out of GSK that was covered by pharma analyst. So really moving to the consumer sector into household personal goods really meant an education in what we what we did, who we were, why we had all these consumer traits that perhaps you hadn't seen as part of GSK. And really also managing, you know, an evolution in terms of shareholder register from predominantly pharma investors to engaging with consumers. So it's it's been a long journey. I mean, I joined three years ago, so really ahead of that split. And really sort of now still navigating through that, getting the company used to the processes in place as we build our own sort of capabilities around reporting, doing a CMD, all of that stuff. But, you know, it's been great and it's been a huge sort of learning experience along the way. So before they split then, so what was the process like? Did you have enough time to prep and, and sort out what, you, what it was going to be like when it was split? Yeah, there was a lot of time. So you know, because of that change in terms of coverage and the reality is we were the first pure play consumer healthcare company that was listed. So, you know, there were bits of peers like Unilever, Reckitt, Nestle that maybe overlapped, but no one sort of standalone pure play consumer healthcare company. So there was a lot of education engaging with consumer analysts, even after JSK reported, a lot of time with management because they were new to listed markets in terms of, you know, Q&A practice, etc. Also, there was a real chance to engage with investors and analysts about dream case scenario, what was best practice, who did certain things well, what would they want to hear? So there really was that whole process, which was fantastic to have that opportunity to build it up ahead of split when, as you'd expect, you know, you had to do the whole CMD thing, the whole broker RFP, etc. And also the big education internally about, you know, there are things that I'm going to come and ask you about a lot more that are questions that we're going to have to be able to have strong answers on, etc. And numbers we've never shared before. So I mean, there was that big educational piece internally as well. And how have you found building up the IR team then? What has been the biggest support you found? And also what have been some of the challenges as well? I think, you know, from so I have an amazing team and I'm so lucky to have them. And they have been massively valuable in terms of what we've done coming to the market in the last year. So um, that is has been a huge, huge help. I mean, I think it's a combination of people I've worked with before and we're fortunate to work with uh, other FTSE one, another FTSE 100, but also internals. And I think, you know, all bring a certain skill set, strength, I think, which is great because I have one who's doing a lot more work on the ESG dynamic. I'm really advancing that. Um, and another one who's also done a lot more in terms of the debt, the debt work, the debt investor engagement, etc. I'm really taking that to a new level as well, um, combined with people who are focused internally and also supporting internally. So I think um, super fortunate to have an incredible team, uh, really benchmarked and consumer IR teams. So look to you know a similar size as to what we had at Heineken, but also then benchmark versus other. Um, UK listed FMCG peers and, and really work from there and I think you know there are some great IRs out there but I, I do think I lucked out in terms of the team that we've struck, constructed at Helium. And I think it's great to hear you being so positive about this I mean it's it's a huge company to, to start up from and, and also you know you said your retail consumers this is something completely new yes a dedicated healthcare brand for retail consumers how have you found this is involvement. How have you found engaging with retail shareholders? Is it completely different to what it was like at GSK, for example? I think so. We're on the process of building. So it's a little bit different because there's been a big focus in terms of education for all the analysts. So we now have about 19 analysts covering us. 
and also education on institutional investors, etc. And also retail at the same time. So we'll always make sure that we're inclusive. So anytime they're doing fireside chats at conferences, it's always webcast. We will try and engage and always will endeavour to get back to any retail shareholder requests. We haven't done anything in terms of retailer engagement, but I mean, coming from, and I did a, a short spell at IHG when I had my own consultancy, um, filling in as they looked for a full-time head of IR. You know, they were great doing annual events that really allowed retail investors in person to, to quiz, ask questions, see, engage a bit more with the company. And, and definitely, I think we'd look to do something like that as we move forward. Um, would you say it's maybe easier to engage with retail customers than traditional institutional investors? I think it's it's a bit of both. I mean, I think, you know, the reality is we're trying to engage with everyone we can. Yeah, you know, that there are potentially a couple of yeah, placings that may come with us. I mean, we do we have come to the market with JSK still sitting with a sizable stake and also Pfizer with an even bigger stake, both of which have said, you know, longer term, they don't want to. You know, they love the business, but longer term, it's not strategic for them. So I think... Conscious because of that, that anyone who's wanted to learn the Halion story, we've completely done everything we can to speak to them, to do calls with them, to to meet them. So we're probably, from that engagement perspective, it's it's a multiple of what it would be in a normal company in a normal year. But, you know, it, it has meant that that sort of engagement aspect with investors has been a big part of the last year. And certainly last couple of years, actually, in fairness. Yeah, that's really interesting to, to mention, actually. But if I know you've already touched on it. But if we were to talk back about, you know, engaging with investors and analysts, um, what performance benchmarks have interested these investor and analyst community in? So a big thing, when we came to market, we were quite highly levered versus consumer peers. So there was a big focus in terms of leverage. We came with around four times net debt EBITDA. So there's been a lot of engagement on getting comfort in terms of cash generation in the business, reassurance. We've given guidance in terms of deleveraging. Um, there's also been a big sort of uh, focus in terms of building a track record because the reality is you know we were formed from two of the largest transactions in consumer healthcare there isn't a massive track record history to see what we do organically so you know all these sort of things have been integrated in terms of how we communicate the the sort of key measures that you'd expect any consumer company to be to be evaluated on so whether that's organic sales whether it's a split of price volume etc all of that stuff is very much embedded and and you know but I think the bigger part has been more for us, the kind of broad education, because as I said earlier, you know, we've come in a sector that doesn't really exist as a subsector and you've had ChemView list um, more recently US. So, you know, it's a sector that's growing from that perspective. But I think, you know, it has been a big lift in terms of education. And I think we can't have an interview without mentioning one thing, which from all our conversations with IROs has, has been very pressing. Artificial intelligence. <laughs> how how are you finding it? Is this something that you want to incorporate into your IR strategy, or is it something that is not quite there for you? So I think we're early in, in looking at this. I mean, I think the reality is, you know, and, and as, as most IROs will probably tell you, there's so many things to do that you could just do the job forever and ever. They just deal, the to do list is massive. I think the potential of having help from artificial intelligence is. Certainly something that, that needs looked at. I think obviously it's mindful of a lot of the information we are dealing with is clearly sensitive, confidential. So you have those dynamics to navigate. But I can imagine that it's, you know, one of the things we're looking at is how can we use artificial intelligence in terms of leveraging whether it's themes across broader sector and you know, what other peers are reporting in, in, in terms of you know, key issues that are going to influence us, whether it's some of the, you know, the more regular 
maintenance in terms of engagement, number of meetings, all of that stuff that you feed into board reports, etc. So I think there probably is a role, but I think at this point in time, you know, looking at it and attending all the the sort of seminars you can expect that you, that are held, um, and then hopefully we'll try and integrate it as we move through. I want to ask you about your specific IR role then. Yes. What have you found has been the one thing that throughout your entire career you have kept top of mind when building up an IR community? I think if I take a step back, I think it's the most amazing job in a company. You you, you have the market exposure, which I loved for years in the sales side, but you also have that deep corporate understanding and, and knowledge. I think the biggest thing, is, and it's certainly come through more recently in, in the role at Halion, is you're really in a privileged position in terms of getting input, insight, feedback in a way that nobody else in the company gets. Because the reality is you're probably doing the bulk of the investor and engagement with analysts. The value of that is huge, whether that's feeding into strategy, whether it's feeding into decisions that may be made in terms of guidance, etc., and it's also massive internal currency. So you know, in that journey to split, and we did. Um, or I did, I think it was 23 and internal presentations on what it meant to be listed. And none of those I asked to do. They were all incoming to me from different teams saying, listen, can you come and tell us how it changes? And I think that feedback that you have in that role is invaluable inter- internal currency because there is a virtuous circle by you being able to share this and this is what they think, this is what they're pushing back on. You're much more likely to get help, get assistance, get the answers, you know. And, and it, it really does build and can be very powerful in terms of building relationships, dynamics, whether it's categories, whether it's regions that um, are super, super valuable when you come to write your release, when you do your Q&A, when you get the ad hoc queries. Um, and I think that's probably the one thing I say is just you never underestimate that that internal currency, because I think that part is super valuable. And even if I think taking a step back from the UK yeah, UK, you have the brokers, but the reality is, you know, you sit there and you can get an unfiltered view from the external world. And I, I would always say to anyone, you know, we will always push people as much to say, listen, I want the band. Because at the very least, I'm in management. And more often than not, I will actually, because they won't see it. But it helps me message or think about how do we correct that? How do we make sure something is understood? So I think that's probably the thing is it's, it's stood out the most. Thank you very much for being on the Ticker Podcast and for speaking with me today. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. Book your places now for essential IR magazine events this fall and winter. In the US, we have our Small Cap Forum in New York on September 28th. In Europe, our ESG Integration Forum Autumn in London on November the 21st. And in Asia, the biggest celebrations of IR excellence in the region, our Southeast Asia Forum and Awards in Singapore on December the 5th, plus our Greater China Forum and Awards in Hong Kong on December the 8th. Reconnect with your peers and learn from hundreds of investor relations, corporate governance, and sustainability experts on driving shareholder value in the current market. Benefit from the latest insights and best practices to get ahead in the competition for capital. Visit irmagazine.com to find out more and book your places. See you in New York, London, Singapore, and Hong Kong from all of us at IR Magazine. Welcome to IR Pulse, the segment where we talk to IROs, analysts, and executives about the evolution of IR. This month, I am delighted to welcome to the show Felix Tarbury, co-founder of Troop, the New York-based fintech startup, describes itself as a community app for shareholders to unite and change companies for good. Welcome to the Ticker Podcast, Felix. 
Thanks, James. Pleasure to be here. Tell us what prompted you and your friends to launch Troop almost a year ago, and what are you setting out to achieve with retail investors? My co-founder and I are particularly motivated by collective action and solving collective action problems. We were particularly inspired by two things uh, that took place roughly around two years ago. One was the very famous GameStop episode fueled by uh, a lot of different people acting in concert on Reddit who coordinated a purchase of, of GameStop shares and showed up at the annual shareholder meeting and exercised their right to vote their shares. And around the same time, a small San Francisco-based hedge fund uh, put together a pretty interesting argument and decided to target ExxonMobil with the shareholder activist campaign and managed to get three people on the board of the company arguing that because Exxon was not prepared compared to its peers for a transition to renewable energies, that really was making itself a complicated investment decision, uh, complicated stock to buy uh, on the long term, since most U.S. automakers are no longer going to be making gas combustion engines. And so observing kind of the middle ground between retail-led energy online with mass um, governance participation, and then a hedge fund making a really brilliant um, environmental, but also economical um, argument uh, targeting Exxon. It, it inspired us to try and put these two concepts together and build out a platform where retail shareholders might be able to consistently resort to collective action for a wider range of objectives, leveraging the mechanism of shareholder activism to try and change companies from, for, for good from within. Absolutely fascinating. Yes, this is the, the way that uh, the wind is blowing. And let me ask you about the general state of shareholder activism from your perspective. And how can new platforms reduce friction for shareholders to be engaged? It's a great question. I think the first thing is to think a little bit about where people today are engaging with their financial assets, where they're making financial decisions. It feels like with the rise of very convenient brokerage applications, one of the perhaps the very first places that we should be engaging the shareholders is directly on their cell phones. There are a couple other places where we can go and connect with people, and that's where conversations are already happening. Places like Yahoo Finance, um, you know, specific ticker-based communities on Reddit and elsewhere, a couple of different Slack communities, as well as on StockTwits, um, which is a, a, another really interesting platform. These are all places where people are having really interesting conversations today, and we're trying to meet them um, exactly there. Felix, you've talked about the narrow definition of fiduciary responsibility being challenged internationally. Uh, what does that mean in, in real terms? So fiduciary responsibility has had a fairly narrow definition to date in that perhaps ever since the 1970s, starting with the Chicago School of Economics, uh, school of thought, I think the primary narrative is that shareholder value is what needs to be maximized and that a company's sole purpose is to return maximal value to the shareholder. Today, shareholder activism campaigns are uh, increasingly centered around original arguments that are kind of stretching the definition of fiduciary responsibility and are coming up with interesting and original new definitions of material financial risk. Taking into account long-term environmental objective truths, there are a whole bunch of companies today that are perhaps exposed um, to, to climate change and other environmental concerns. And so arguments that perhaps 10 years ago might have been rejected 
from the annual shareholder meeting and that perhaps would have warranted a little less attention from shareholders are today actually getting a lot more consideration. And so in a sense, uh, what that's leading to is, is, is an expansion, at least on the environmental side of fiduciary duty and material financial risk. We're also seeing a couple of companies successfully argue that the reputations and the behaviors of the individuals in management and on the board are also uh, material financial risk. And the SEC is also lowering the bar for what counts as an allowable shareholder resolution at the annual shareholder meeting. And then abroad, we're seeing that environmental concerns really are everyone's problem. And so in other markets where there are other developed annual shareholder meeting style voting systems, we're also seeing a significant expansion of environmentally focused and governance focused shareholder resolutions that are increasingly allowed at the annual shareholder meetings and are getting voted on. They're increasingly receiving support from a, an increasingly institutional audience as well. And I think that that's more than likely to continue to expand. Fascinating. Yeah, they only have to read or watch or listen to the headlines to see the imperative behind uh, climate change um, initiatives, that's for sure. Let me ask you, what's working in terms of surfacing and driving shareholder activism? So I'd say, as I was mentioning, the barriers of entry are perhaps a little bit easier today than they were before. And platforms such as the one that we're building, we have plenty of friends in the space that are building interesting and um, topically related concepts. You know, technology is, is making this a lot simpler. We're putting together the tools to kind of encourage collective action in the market, uh, to encourage collective shareholder activism, but there are other ways to go about it. Um, I think also what's working well is innovating a little bit on how we reach retail with perhaps slightly more modern uh, social media-based uh, advertising campaigns. And I think the final piece um, that is perhaps quite effective in driving shareholder activism today is engaging with companies a lot earlier. And typically, uh, retail doesn't tend to get involved until a lot closer to the AGM, when in reality, I think uh, because retail tend to buy stocks where they overlap with the customer base, engaging with them sooner is actually an interesting way to hedge yourself against both an investor and a customer risk. And I think that because companies today that are publicly traded are getting smarter about how they engage with their retail audience, um, and I mean retail investor audience, we're going to see a little bit more uh, innovation in this space. I think uh, those things are likely to, in turn, drive a lot of shareholder activism, but perhaps more constructive activism. Understood. Certainly, tech-driven innovation is welcome, but what are the challenges that still exist from your perspective, such as antiquated voting systems? I think that there are perhaps three challenges. The first is, if you consider that our mission is to get retail to realize that they have the right to vote and then to exercise it, then you have to ask yourself, are the systems in place to help them do that in the most convenient way? Are they provided with the right amount of information to do it? And I think if you're looking at, for example, the information playing field, there really are only two players in that market, the market for proxy voting advisory, right? And when you're trying to get people to make a voting decision, you have to give them the right information and present them with a, a, a fair, fair range of, uh, of data. The issue with the, the duopoly is that it isn't really designed to meet the needs of retail, who I think are looking for perhaps slightly more subtle and perhaps more values-based information. The second issue is that there really is only one major player 
uh, in the voting infrastructure place. And while their product is strong, I think it would be interesting to try and open up the voting system to, to competition a little bit more. Uh, and so perhaps uh, perhaps a space that, that we might be interested in. I think the final piece is that in general in the U.S., you know, even on the federal level when you're voting for the president, there isn't a ton of voting participation compared to other you know, developed Western democracies. And so the challenge to make voting as an act interesting and exciting in the U.S. is is fairly significant. So it's not so much uh, system related as it is uh, perhaps cultural. Um, and that's that's a, a challenge that we're interested in learning more about every single day. Are you hearing from investor relations professionals about their interest in a, in a third lane? Yeah, you know, there's a, there are the two incumbents in the spaces I had mentioned. But I think what we're seeing is publicly traded companies and, and investment relations departments um, interested in engaging with perhaps like a more modern approach to engaging with uh, their retail shareholder audience and shareholders in general. Um, and in that sense, we believe that there's an opportunity to offer um, a more more successfully engaging product and more more exciting one um, that our teams are more than welcome to to use when when communicating directly with uh, their their audience. What do IR teams need to understand? Do you think about retail investors and their expectations in terms of IR communications? That's a great question. You know, I would say as somebody who personally invests in, in companies um, where where I'm also a consumer of the product, I think more often than not, I, if I'm being honest, I'm making a, uh, an emotional decision on, on purchasing the stock that's based in my uh, attraction to the product or the service. And in that sense, I find that really what I'm expecting isn't necessarily that these companies always outperform the market or outperform all their peers but that they are communicating their thought process, their methodologies, and that they're really considering the retail audience in a slightly different way because we're making this investment decision more often than not, not just for financial reasons. And so what I'm looking for personally is for these companies and the IR, these IR teams to engage with me in a slightly more personalized way. And that's hard to do. <laughs> Everybody in retail has different reasons for buying stock. And so the way that you wanna be communicated with is gonna change from person to person. But I find that uh, it's it's perhaps a better idea to embrace the unpredictability and the difficulty of engaging with a very very diverse audience, um, and to uh, you know to do so in a in a fairly honest and transparent way. There are a couple cool companies that are popping up um, that are offering, for example, perks um, uh, as a way to kind of connect with their retail audience. So if you buy shares of XYZ company. Uh, you can get a discount on that product and you can also, you know, engage with uh, the IR team on, for, for instance, a quarterly basis. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And I, and I think that more so than getting it right, I think what IR teams probably stand to, to, to gain a lot on is, is just by trying, like trying a bunch of different ways to engage with their retail shareholders. Some ways are going to work, some aren't. And I think uh, technology is making that a lot easier today. Understood. Yeah. Innovation, transparency, honesty, perks. That's an interesting avenue. Uh, excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Felix. Many thanks for you and your time and best of luck with Troop. Thanks for talking to IR Pulse by public.com for the ticker. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. 
You've been listening to the latest episode of the Ticket Podcast, brought to you by IR Magazine, in partnership with our sponsor, PulseByPublic.com. Huge thanks for their support. You can learn more about Pulse at public.com forward slash Pulse. Thanks also to everyone who took the time of being with us today. For our listeners, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you like and subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, thanks for listening.